a transcribing series of prophetic revelations. We looked at this idea that there is something within our spiritual DNA and something intrinsic in what it is that we teach that means that we are called into community. And we focus on, we focus on this idea that in Genesis chapter 1, to the first page of the Bible, we see that God dwells perfectly in community with himself. God the Father, God the Spirit, Jesus Christ in perfect community. And out of that community, we were created. And we were created in the image of God. And so our very image is created with the need for community. Our very image is created with more God so therefore, because it's in our spiritual DNA, then we need to make sure that as a church, we are building authentic biblical community. And so this morning, uh, sorry, something I want to do is kind of look at the next stage then of this. If we're saying that community is an intrinsic part of what it is to be human, if we're saying that community is what we're called to be, well, what does an actual biblical model of community look like? So, afternoon we're just going to be kind of looking through some of the uh, scriptural blueprints that we see of community. If you've got your Bible uh, with you, you want to turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. Just to give you a little bit of background, the book of Acts, or Acts of the Apostle as you give it a long title, is basically the record of the early church. In chapter 1 we see uh, Jesus uh, ascend into heaven. And then the disciples and a couple of people around him then waiting on the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falling with power on the disciples. And from that moment, the church is born. And then the rest of the book of Acts is the story of the early church. It's the story of how the apostles took this message into the four corners of the known world. And so what's really interesting, Luke, the author of Acts, has several times, he gives us these little uh, snapshots, these little pictures of what the church is like. And what I want to do this afternoon is to explore one of these pictures of the church, so Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing uh, their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. And so in these five simple verses, what we start to see is a blueprint of what true, authentic, biblical community looks like. And so there are these four principles that I want to just touch on a little bit this morning. The first thing that we see is that they were strong in commitment, that there was a supernatural element in their calling, that they were selfless in their compassion, and that they were surrendered to Christ. And I honestly believe that if we seek to embody these four principles, and as we go as a church and build biblical community, that not only will we see our own lives change, our own church change, transform, 
But actually, we will see a paradigm shift in this city. That we will see this nation transformed to the glory of God. You see, what's amazing about the early church is that it started with absolutely nothing. Just about under 100 people, 80, 90 people praying together in that upper room. And within two, three three decades, every single part of the Roman Empire had heard about Christ. And there weren't any great big megachurches, there weren't missionary organizations, there weren't big huge funding campaigns with evangelism ministry. But there were people who were growing out and living this Christian life. There were people who were growing out and building authentic biblical communities in their homes right there. And that is what changed the world. The hope of the world is the local church. And to me that absolutely excites me. It excites me that what we're looking at, what we're exploring, is not just for me, it's not just so I can have a church that's more agreeable to me or more entertaining to me or fits in with my schedule better. But what we're looking at is something that radically transforms me as an individual so that I can be a transformative effect in this nation. Cities, countries, whole regions are transformed by the gospel. Just an interesting uh, tidbit of information. It wasn't until about the age, uh, about the year 231, that the first actual church building existed. That means for 200 years, the early church were meeting together in people's homes. They were meeting in spaces that they could find. They were meeting in the courtyards of members of their church. And they were building and they were growing and they were thriving because they were following a blueprint that had been orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the problems or one of the challenges that has sort of crept into the church today is that we seek to become too professional. We seek to construct these curriculums and these ideas and these programs that fit so beautifully. They fit, fit so neatly together. You can put them on a massive Excel spreadsheet and they look wonderful. But what they have missed is that simple, orchestrated, Holy Spirit-soaked blueprint that we see in Scripture. So, let's get stuck in. The first thing that the church was was they were strong in commitment. Acts 2, 13. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, the early church community was not an optional activity. We spoke about this a little bit last week. This wasn't something that they could do, well, as long as I'm reading my Bible, as long as I'm giving my tithe, as long as I'm having my quiet times with Jesus, then, yeah, maybe, maybe if I feel like it, I can journey with other people. Maybe I can have other people for dinner. The early church community was the very foundation of what their faith looked like. The two could not be separated out. And Luke, writing in the book of Acts, he says that the early church were devoted, that they devoted themselves. The first thing to the apostle teaching, and then interestingly, the second thing was fellowship. And this word that Luke uses for devoted is a really interesting one. It can be translated in a few different ways if you can go to the slides. But at the heart of this idea is this idea that, they, that to be devoted was to be steadfastly attentive to, 
to give unremitting care to a thing, or to be in constant readiness. And so, what Luke is saying is that those who made up this early community, they had made it their goal. They had set their mind on this. They had kind of constructed their life so that their mission was to be one of unremitting care, to be in constant readiness to serve this early community. Again, I think one of the problems that we have is that we see it as being a part of our week. This is what we do on Friday. This is what we do when we meet together on a Thursday or on Tuesday or whenever it may be. But for the early church, this was their life. This was their goal. This was their focus. And everything else was had to fit in around that. So I've got the tip of having this finger like that. So this was more than just being a committed member. This was more than just signing up to be a part of a crew, to be a part of a team. But this was saying, this is the foundation of my life, and I am prepared to build everything on top of this. That's challenging. That's hard to hear. We talk about having a well-balanced life. We talk about juggling the pressures of family and work and church and all these things. And, but actually, what we see in Scripture is that church took precedence. Church took priority. Not just church, but community. Family took priority. We're going to come on to it a little bit later, but that means that was costly. That means that form of lifestyle was sacrificial. And so this is what they had devoted themselves to. And the reason that they were doing this is because their relationships with the other members in their community were not just, oh, that you are my colleague, or that you're my friend, or someone that I hang out with. It's because these people are our brothers and sisters and when we allow that revelation to come, when we allow that mindset to change, that the way that we view how we gather together radically changes. As annoying as it may be, I am your brother in Jesus Christ. You can do nothing about that. And the same is true as well. As much as I may wish it or may not wish it, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That is just a fact. And so when we start seeing each other as family, when we start allowing that to be the mindset of how we connect and how we interact, then the priority changes. And it's not just about spending the 15 minutes after church on a Friday. It's not just about having that cup of coffee and eating a cake and, and chatting about the weather. But it's about a deep intimacy. It's about a deep relationship. Again, the word that the Paul uses that Luke uses for fellowship. I think fellowship in our modern world is kind of, you know, it's what we do on a sports team together. Or maybe you have to go to drinks after work. That's fellowship. But in an actual biblical sense, there's so much deeper than that. There's an intimacy to it. There's a band of brothers and a comrade of arms. There's this sense of I'm going to fight side by side with you. This is what Luke is saying that the church was practicing this deep intimacy, this deep partnership, this deep connection with each other. And I'm going to be honest with you, I find these scriptures hard. It, um, it may surprise you, but I'm not an extrovert. I, I, I love the opportunity to get up and preach. 
but it's not in my nature. I'm not an introvert by nature. And so after I started thinking, I just, all I want to do is to go and hide in a corner. If I've ever had a conversation with you, I can pretty much guarantee you the first three or four conversations will either be about the weather and about how lovely it is at this time of year or how terrible it is at this time of year, depending what season we're in. Or I will ask you a question like, oh, how's your week going? I'm rubbish at small talk. I find it so painful. And I don't know why, but that's just how I am created. But I still 100% believe that I need to be devoted to fellowship. I 100% believe that I need to be invested my time, my treasure, my talents, my energy into authentic biblical community because I cannot separate the two out from Scripture. I cannot separate my relationship with Jesus from the family that He has placed me in. And so, I almost, for those of you who think, yeah, that's me, that's exactly me, I hope you're taking lessons of hope. Because you know what? What I love about the Bible, what I love about the things that God calls us to, is He calls us to principles. He calls us to these kind of these grand forms of living. But the actual practicalities of what that looks like is going to be absolutely different for each and every single one of us. What community looks like for me is going to be very different to what community may look like for you. But as long as it embodies these four marker points, these four principles, then it is authentic biblical community. And we have to be careful not to use it as an excuse. We have to be careful not to kind of go, oh, but it's okay, I've got my community, I've got this group of people over here who I hang out with, I don't need anyone else. But it also means that we need to not keep pressure upon ourselves. One of the things is that how God really clearly say to you is that this isn't a message that should lead to condemnation. This isn't a message that should lead to, oh my goodness, I've got so much more that I need to do. There's so much pressure. There's so much I need to kind of strive for. But hopefully this is a message that celebrates the things that we're already doing well and then sets the goal of where we will want to be. Because you know what? We will not get this perfect. There are times that we will mess up. There are times that we will fail. There are times that I will have a conversation with you and, and, and you may think that I'm being cold and I apologize. And that breaks my heart that at, at times that's maybe how I come across. But until Jesus comes back and we experience that true, perfect community of heaven, we have the goal, we have the kind of the, 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 the end of what we see in Scripture. And I will do everything in my life run towards that. I will strive towards that. And my hope and my prayer is that every single day, little by little, step by step, that I seek to build authentic biblical community in my life. So I really hope, I really pray that this comes across as a, as a message of hope, a message of looking at what could be, what should be. And together with a shared excitement, with a shared passion, we say yes, as a family, that's where we will get to. Yes, as a family, that's the goal. That's the priority. That's what I want to make important in my life. And I'm prepared to count the cost for that.
Paul, uh, Paul or whoever wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, might be thinking about the debate, was so concerned about when writing to the church that he says this, Hebrews 10, verse 24, let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, for the author of Hebrews, again, this is a non-negotiable. To the point where the part of the church that had stopped meeting together actually warranted a rebuke. They actually warranted a correction in the attacker. Community is not an option of everything. Community is not something that you get to choose. Community is not something that's just for the extroverts, or just for those who are energized by being around people. But community is in our very spiritual DNA. Community is who we are, who we are called to be as Christians. Therefore, we must be strong in our commitment to one another. Verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. One of the elements that I love about community is it's supernatural in its calling. The very foundation of how the church was born was by a group of people getting together in an upper room and just praying. There was no particular agenda. There was no sense. There was an instruction that Jesus had given to wait in Jerusalem until the parousia, the, the, the one to come, would visit them. But every day or every couple of days, they would meet together and they would pray. And on this particular day, as they were praying, suddenly the Holy Spirit fell in great power and great might. And they were baptized in the Spirit and they went out and they started uh, evangelizing, proclaiming, and Peter preaches the very first evangelistic sermon ever recorded. And the church was born, and on that day, 3,000 people come to the Lord. The supernatural broke in when it was least expected. And one of the things that I love about community, I love about gathering with each other, is that we come with this expectation that God is going to break in. And I want to be really clear here. We're not just talking about Fridays. We shouldn't be just content with a great ministry time after three. When that perfect moment in the worship, when the song just hit that moment just right, suddenly we feel a sense of God's Spirit and we respond and we do healing and deliverances and people free from bondage. All those things are amazing. But we shouldn't settle for just that. We shouldn't say, well, Holy Spirit, you can only break in into those large corporate moments. Holy Spirit, you can only uh, deliver me. You can only heal me. You can only free me when an elder leaves a word of knowledge. That's not the pattern we see in Scripture. We see people gathering together in small groups, forming authentic, biblical community. And God's Spirit breaking in, transforming them. One of the things that we're going to uh, cover in this series right, right towards the end is we're going to also, not in this series, actually, in the series that we're coming up after, we're going to do a series called the Eastern Pentecost. And we're going to look at sort of ongoing revivals around the world. And one of the amazing things that you see in so many of these revivals is it starts by two, three, four people just meeting together and praying, just asking for God's Spirit to fill them with you. I honestly believe that as Christians, 
is how the absolute privilege and honor that when we gather together and we gather together as families, God's Spirit can break in and transform us to renew us, to heal us, to deliver us. And I think we need to raise the bar. We need to raise our expectations. We need to come humbly when we meet together as community. Saying, God, I want you to break into this moment. God, I want to leave in a transformed person. It's how the early church spread so quickly. Change lives when people believe. Change lives when people see this. When you have a group of six or seven people meeting together, and suddenly someone will get cured, and then you go and they, they tell that uh, they tell that story at work. We're praying for someone to get a job. And week after week as a community, we stand before the throne and we ask God, break into this moment. And that person gets an interview. God, take these people in contact. But as a community, we seek corporately the face of God. We are faithful. We are faithful. And we're in people's lives. Keep coming back to this fact. I love the Study with 80 people in an upper room, and in 25 years, we have made it to that call of the Roman Road. That was unheard of. That had never happened before. Never had a message, had an ideology, had a religion spread so fast. And the reason why is because the good news of Jesus is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something supernatural. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The third part of the point is that they were selfless in their compassion. You see, one of the key focuses or one of the key kind of um, activities that this early church community practiced was this kind of selfless compassion for each other. And I want to make this very clear. This is not Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. And 
no one said that any of the things that belong to them was his own. If that verse does not make you incredibly uncomfortable, then we've not understood it properly. I love my iPhone. Maybe a better example. Very, uh, very graciously, my wife got me a coffee maker um, for my birthday last year. Probably a double shame. My wife is not allowed to touch my coffee maker. I am incredibly paranoid that she'll break it. She has no track record of doing this, but I just have this fear. The scripture says, and that anything that belonged to him, and sorry, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. My coffee maker is not mine. My coffee maker is not a Vaughan Ellis coffee maker. My coffee maker is God's coffee maker that he is temporarily lending to me for a year. That's hard. Oh. You need to not just sweep over this. You need to not just go, oh yeah, but that's okay. Blah, blah, blah. That's hard. But they had everything in common. And the great part of how the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. Just think about this. This is first century Palestine. This is, you know, under the Roman rule. There was no handouts. There was no nothing. If you did not have a job, you starved to death on the streets. And yet Luke is recording that among the church, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and made it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a Levite, and later disciples, sold a field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. For authentic biblical community to thrive, there must be a spirit of generosity. There must be a spirit of self-sacrifice. It can no longer be about, well, what can I acquire? What can I call my own? What possessions can I hold together? But it's about what do I have to give to advance the kingdom. And I want to make this clear. And this particular scripture is talking about finances. But I believe that this radical principle actually goes so much further. That it's not just about my treasure. But it's about my time and my talents and my energy as well. Quite early on when I was dating uh, Tamara, she was working for a very uh, successful author and a part of the uh, church that she's been in. And we were talking, I think, about giving and tithing, just kind of getting to know each other's hearts. And sort of new, kind of, you know, very, uh, you know, you see that she clearly was very financially generous and she gave of her time, she supported missional organizations, all of this stuff. But at the same time as she was working uh, for this law firm, she was working ridiculously long hours, starting at 9, finishing at 9, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. But there was a need in her church for things to eat. And so every single Sunday or most Sundays, be out for whatever it was, she would get up and she would serve a part of King's Fist. Not because she had any particular passion or desire or calling, but because there was a need in that community for it. And as we were dating, I got to see a beautiful part. 
Because you know what? To her, giving up her treasure was not sacrificial. It wasn't something that was kind of making you know, that difference. Can I or can I not have this? But giving up her time was. That was the commodity in her life that was in short supply. And yet still, she chose to serve in the church. And not in glamorous well, not the place that, you know, I feel really called to, or, or I feel that the Lord has kind of laid out this ministry. But she served in the area that had need. And in that moment, I felt it was that little bit deeper than others I did, but I saw her heart. I saw the kind of the motive behind her action. And so for each and every single one of us, there will be a different thing that is sacrificial that we are called to sow into our for some, it will be it will be money. That will be the sacrificial thing. That will be the kind of I'm trusting God to provide for this need. But for others of us, it will be our time. It will be you know I've had a long week of meetings. I've I've been doing this all week. I just want to wind it off. For some of us, it may be our energy. You know, one of the things that some people may or may not know that. I've suffered various health issues over the last couple of years. I actually uh, got very sick just after our, our honeymoon. I was in hospital for quite a while. One of the things that has never fully recovered is my energy and my energy levels. And so, you know, even between this morning and this afternoon, I had to go home and, and have a short power nap. And so for me, one of the costly sacrifices that I had to face was my energy. There were times that I just don't want to be a part of that meeting. I just don't want to have that conversation. But I know that I'm sacrificially called to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. They were selfless in their giving. They were selfless in their compassion. In their compassion. Paul writing to the church in Philippi says this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant of yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count the quality of God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This is the posture that God has called us to. To really build authentic biblical community, there needs to be a pouring out of ourselves. There needs to be this kind of radical self uh, this radical serving of others, this radical selflessness, this this giving up of the divine privileges that we have for God, the sake of community. In this world, there are too many arrogant, conceited, prideful fools who are telling people what to do, how to live. But I believe that the church is called to take the posture of Jesus. We've heard us talk about earlier. Transform the heart of those that we 
struggle, that I believe that that posture is actually a posture of war, a posture of war against the rampant tyranny, the rampant extremism, the rampant sense of selfishness that engulfs the Christian world. And we take the posture of a servant and seek to serve not just our community, but those in our nation around us. We see Christ within us. We see nations changed and transformed. You want to know how this nation will be won by God? It is in radical acts of service, radical acts of humbling ourselves and serving those that Christ has put in our path. And so finally, I'm just going to invite Johnny up to surrender to Christ and dive and day by day attending the temple together breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The final trait or principle, whatever you want to call it, of authentic biblical community is living a life surrendered to Jesus. You know, this stuff isn't and I think sometimes one of the problems with a series like this or preach like this is we kind of can make it sound, well, as long as you follow these steps, as long as you join into this program, as long as you sign up to this curriculum, it's going to be good, it's going to be easy. You just need to go with the flow. But anything that is genuine, anything that is real, anything that is of value in this world is going to cost you everything. It's going to cause you to have to evaluate your whole life. It's going to cause you to evaluate your relationships. It's going to cause you to evaluate where you're putting your time, your treasure, your talents, and your energies in. But when we are prepared to surrender ourselves to Jesus, when we're prepared to lay it all down at His feet, then we see that you will be changed, that you will be transformed, that we will be made more and more into his likeness. And I absolutely, 100% believe that it is worth the cost. Because what you're gaining is not just another club or just another social event, just another group of people to hang out with. What you're actually, de- uh, you're actually getting is a foretaste of heaven. You're getting a picture of what we will be doing for eternity. In community together, worshipping Jesus, seeing his kingdom invaded. One of the things that we said in the series is that we want to be um, really specific with what's the kind of the next step. That at the end of each uh, sermon, there will be a clear sense of, well, what's the revelation? What's the transformation? And what's the Holy Spirit's participation? So the revelation is simply this, that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us that the local church is the hope of the world, and that you as my brother and sister in Christ are worth it. But only when we start with that revelation, only when we start from a place of the Holy Spirit, show me that the Holy church, uh, that the, the local church is your plan, can we build into community. The second thing is transformation. 
Thank you. 